In our culture, we learn through stories. But what if the stories we hear don't match the reality of life? What if the stories we hear every day that tell us how to write the narrative of our lives actually lead us to a false narrative? My name is Tim Kroll, and on this podcast, you will hear real stories. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Real people sharing the hard times, the bends in the roads along life's journey. If you're ready to join a community of other real people who are writing the narrative of their lives, then go to narrative.live and join the community. Now let's dive into today's show. All right, so <laughs> welcome back. I love these episodes. I love being able to do it. I'm so glad you guys are all on the journey with us. And I want to introduce Kathleen. I met Kathleen and her husband, Wes. I was actually coaching at an event and I asked permission to share the story prior, but I'm going to share this because it was... It was really one of those, oh, wow, kind of moments. I don't know how to explain it other than that. But we were doing a coaching event and uh, Wes and Kathleen, they, they come off the airplane and uh, they come into the event area and all of a sudden, the guys were sitting at my table and all of a sudden you get a phone call and it's like, hey, our worker just fell off and is in the hospital and there's some serious, serious challenges. And it was a huge, huge shakeup, but I don't want to steal the surprise, the thunder. I don't want to steal any of that stuff, but I just want to kind of put that out there as like, it wasn't just like a normal meeting. It was like, holy cow, we have a serious crisis that we have to deal with. And we got to figure out how to, how to move forward. What do we have to do to be able to do that? So um, anyway, that was my introduction as far as like, I know you guys have a great story. I can't wait to hear about all of the things. I know as we've talked a lot throughout the different times and things, I'm like I said, I'm really excited about it. So I'm going to let you take it away. As per all of our stuff, like we're going to introduce and we're going to say as far as like what our beliefs were, and then we're going to kind of see what the crisis were, the challenges, the bends, and then really kind of what was the future as far as now how you're moving forward. So feel free to introduce or add anything else, Kathleen, man. It, it, this is truly, I'm I'm really, really excited to talk with you. Uh, well, thank you so much, Tim, for having me. Um, yeah, like Tim said, we live in San Diego and we were heading out east to go to this uh, you know, business conference. We're expecting to go there to get all this wisdom and have this like incredible time. Our business is brand new. We have no idea what we're doing, which is why we go to the conference. And as soon as we get there, as soon as we check into our hotel, we get this phone call that our employee had fallen off a roof and is on his way to the hospital. And I come from the legal field. I was a legal secretary for 13 years. So I'm just like, we're screwed. Like we are, we're doomed. Like, oh my gosh, we don't wait. Do we have insurance? No, we don't have insurance. What's the insurance that you need for these types of situations? We didn't have anything. We had a brand new business with no wisdom. So that's why we're at this conference. So we get there. And instead of a week of like, just getting wisdom in other areas of our business, we just had to just kind of embrace this challenge of being there for five days now and dealing with this traumatic event that just like popped up. So it was, it was pretty wild, but I will say God was in all of it because he knew what we needed and his timing was perfect. He put us in a room with people that had been through similar things and the community that came around and surrounded us during this trial to lift us up, to comfort us, to let us know that it was going to be okay, that they had been through similar things, I think was just the most amazing thing of it all that we were able to get through those five days. And then once we got home, we had some, an outline or like a, you know, a, a plan of how yeah. we were going to handle this. 
So it's just so incredible. Yeah. It, and it's it's funny. I mean, like I said, usually we start these things out with, you know, what was your original life like? What were your beliefs? And then all of a sudden it's like, this is, and this is what it's truly about is like, we don't typically, when we're telling stories, we don't typically tell about all these hard times. So I, I'm, I love the transparency. I love the authenticity. I love where this is going, but let's take a couple steps back and okay. So what was your life like growing up and what were the beliefs that you formed coming from that side of things? How did you you know, form your beliefs of, okay, I have this expectation of what adult life is going to be like. Did it change? Is it the same? Is it like, where were you at when you first started this journey? Well, right out the gate, I was adopted. So life for me was a lot different. I kind of suffered from a lot of rejection just early on in life. And um, that stuck with me a lot through my adult years. And um, I was raised in a conservative home, Catholic, you know, beliefs that if I worked hard, I could like achieve anything, you know, work hard, achieve anything. I was an ice skater. So I was a little bit of performance driven. Can I I dig into something real real quick? And I I, I apologize. I'm kind of interrupting you, but okay. First of all, you said that you were adopted. Yeah. Okay. So that brings a whole different viewpoint, a whole different perspective of who you are. Mm-hmm. self-confidence. I'm sure that there was a lot of questions about, you know, developing your identity as an individual, right? So like, can you dive into that a little bit? Like explain a little bit of what you've seen and what you've learned about just the fact of being adopted and being put into a, a home. Like you said, it was a conservative home, but like, what were the challenges? What were the things that you kind of formed your belief off of like how to live life? Well, I just automatically at a young age, even though I had good parents and they did the best they could for me, I always suffered from rejection. And I didn't have this close relationship with my mother that, you know, some or how it's supposed to be. I mean, now I learned that, you know, you should have a close relationship with your with your kids. But I didn't really have that. The emotional interaction with my mom wasn't there. She was off working really hard to like take care of us. And then I was daddy's little girl. I was really connected with my dad. And then, you know, my parents, they didn't get along growing up. There was a lot of fighting in the home. And then one day, you know, they decide that they're going to get a divorce. And so I'm already wrecked. I'm already like trying to find my way in life. I'm a little girl trying to find like, who am I supposed to be? And I'm looking to my parents for guidance, but I'm not really getting anything there. And my mom, I think, put me in ice skating kind of as like a cover up of like, hey, let's just go ice skating and you're going to be really good and you're going to travel and you're going to do all these competitions. But home life is a disaster and we don't even have money to put food in the fridge or to pay our gas and light bills. So like our water was getting turned off, our lights were turned. So it was a really the financial side of things was like was really misconstrued. And so I grew up with like, oh, okay, so we can just spend money on all of this stuff, even though we don't have it. And it's okay. You know, just fast forward a little bit. I was 10. My parents were going through a divorce. They said, you know, who do you want to live with? I said, I want to live with my dad, but I'm with my mom currently until the court hearing. And about a month before the court hearing, we get a call. My dad just died from heart attack. Just that was it. There was no no preparation, no, like dad's sick. He has cancer. Like, you know, there was no preparation. It was, we head to the hospital, we get there and that's it. And I don't even think I saw him that when I was at the hospital, I I think he was already gone. You know, one thing I can say for sure is that whatever beliefs you had up until that point, when you lose a father figure as a 10 year old child, something emotionally jacks you up. Because God created us 
to have a fatherly figure. He is our heavenly father figure, you know? And so when a, a father figure is removed from a child's life, you're doomed. Like as a child, you cannot process any of that. So I already feel rejection. I have all of this, you know, financial issues going on in the home. Then my parents are getting divorced. Yet I'm traveling around the country, ice skating and performing and winning medals. And my life is in complete shambles. You know, I go to, I, I remember I go to this ice skating competition and I step on the ice. I'm getting ready to step on the ice to go compete. And someone pulls me back and says, I'm sorry, you can't step on the ice. Your fees haven't been paid. I mean, how humiliating, you know, I mean, complete humiliating. So my dad passed away. And my mom did the best she could to try to get me help, but I was a wreck. I became really abusive towards her physically, verbally, and my life was in shambles and I I didn't know what to do. So at 12 years old, I was like, I'm going to go start smoking weed and drinking alcohol and trying different things that are out there that can kind of numb what I'm going through because I don't know how to get through this. And I had an older sister. She was also adopted. So she was 10 years older than me. She was living an older lifestyle. So I would just go to her for everything. And my life at that point, just starting at 12, just went down a really, really dark road until I was 30 years old. The question that I think would come up is, obviously, there's a lot of things that you're coming through. And there's a lot of weight and a lot of emotional baggage that you're dealing with. You step into it, trying to figure it out the best that you can at 12, and then the only solution that you have is really the addiction aspect of it. And I'm sure that that's going to lead to probably part of the other aspects of your story. The belief that you formed though, let's dig into that just for a yeah. brief second. The belief mm -hmm. that you formed off of that was what, what did you look at and say, okay, that does that mean that nobody cares about me? Does that like, how, what did you actually think in your mind at that time Feeling all alone? I mean, like what, what were those emotions that you were going through? Definitely isolation, feeling alone and really just not feeling loved because I'm like, how can someone take my dad from me? Mm -hmm. Like I, you can't understand death when you're that young. So you're, you're thinking that someone took something from you. You know, I grew up Catholic, so I did know about God. And for a while I blamed it on God. Like, God, how could you take my dad from me? Why, why would you, if you're this like great God, why, why can, why would you take my father from me? You know, that's who I wanted to live with. That's who I was close with. That's who I was so happy with. Mm -hmm. So the feeling of just being alone and not feeling loved. And I think so many people deal with that. I, I don't, I don't think you're the only one. And so I'm, yeah. I'm thankful that you're sharing that. So leading through this, what was the event that really shook you? What was the challenge? What was the bend in the road? Because obviously the path that you were currently on, I would assume most people, if they stay on that path, it's going to lead to some kind of a death of some kind of something is going to happen. So I'm assuming something was going or something's coming. So let's dive into that bend. Let's dive into yeah, that challenge. So I, when I was 18, I got a, I was coming out of some really, really dark stuff with my sister and I ended up getting a, um, a job in the legal field. This man was really sent by God to just take me under his wing. And he, he really helped me for about two and a half years of my life and helped me get off drugs and, and Hey, come work for me. And so that gave me a solid foundation of like, okay, now I'm in the legal field and I'm learning all this stuff. And that would like, you know, set my career up. And I ended up leaving that firm and going to work for another firm. And as soon as I left that firm, I went back to my addiction. I went back to my addiction. Um, it was just waiting for me. 
you know, the Bible talks about that, how the devil is just waiting for you. And he was, he was waiting for me. It was literally three days after I left that job and just, yeah. So I got back into it and I mean, it was a really dark road. Um, I would say the main event is I got into a head-on collision. I was driving, I was moving. I was going through a, a period about a year and a half of really bad hallucinations. And I came home from work one day and my house was cleared out. My roommate had moved out. And I couldn't afford this two bedroom, you know, uh, condo downtown. So I had to find a place to live. And so I was moving on my own and had been up for several days because I'm trying to move and I'm, you know, I'm a functioning addict, full on functioning. Uh, Mind you, no one in my life knows that I'm an addict. I'm hiding it because I'm, I have this really this job. And anyways, I, I, I'm Can we pause on that for a second? Because I think this is a really, really important point. And I, I think it comes back to and you mentioned, so let me tie this all together and see if this is true or not. Yeah. And you can tell me yeah. if I'm way off. Yeah. Throughout your childhood, you were taught to act. Yeah. Right. So you're this ice skater and you're, yeah. you're performing and you're on that stage of yeah. a competitive level. And you just said that you're winning medals and you're doing all of these things. And so you, you were taught at a very young age, you know, whether somebody said it to you or you just made the assumption or just a conclusion from the situation and circumstances taught how to pretend. And then you step into this like, okay, but I still have all of this pain. So how do I deal with this pain? And so you actually start the addiction aspects and the, the, like the dark times that you're talking about, just trying to numb the pain all while maintaining this lifestyle, this facade, this picture of of perfection. And like you said, like, I think that's a really, really important key element there. Exactly. I mean, I would go to work every single day. I was, you know, a really like really good legal secretary. All the attorneys wanted me to be their secretary. They would fight over me. And I would just like, you know, just pretend. And inside I was just dying. You know, I'd have to leave work on my lunch and go home and get high just to come back to be able to finish my work. And absolutely just this performance driven, like I have to pretend like everything's okay because if I show that I'm not okay, then I'm a complete failure and I'm going to lose everything because I thought at that time, all I had was my job, you know, to keep me going. Right. Right. So was the car accident, the crucible or was the the car accident just like, go ahead. I'm driving and I hit the center divide and I spin out and I go towards um, oncoming traffic on the other side of the road. And I get in a head on collision with this lady. I open my eyes and I realize that I can move every single part of my body. I had a little bit prior to this, I had started searching for something and it was God. And so I knew in this moment that God had saved my life. Like it was absolutely a miracle. And I was moving all of my extremities. I didn't have pain. All of the first responders are trying to, you know, get me out of my car. And I see like the smoke coming from like my steering wheel and the airbags. And, you know, I thought I was going to burn to death. So I was like, oh no, I'm not going to burn to death. So I'm actually... I get myself out of my car and I look and I see that they're already at this time using the jaws of life to get this lady out of her car. I had an SUV. She had this little Honda. And I mean, I just got to my knees and I was like, oh my gosh, God, please save her life. Or I'm, I'm done. And at this point I already had, I already had a DUI. So I'm looking at second DUI bodily injury, you know, seven to 10 years in prison. And this is where God shows up. And it's just so amazing. I mean, this is obviously the catalyst because the way he shows up is unreal. 
she is in the hospital recovering. She's in intensive care, but they let me know like, Hey, she's not going to die. And I'm like, okay. Oh, good. Okay. And then, you know, the investigators like, well, we referred this unit to the criminal division. We're just waiting for your toxicology reports to come back. I'm like toxicology reports. Like what's that? They're like, Oh, you're like blood and like urine and everything pretty much to prove that I was under the influence. They forgot to test me at the scene. They forgot to test me at the hospital. No one tested my blood. No one tested my urine. So I literally dodged like a 10 year. I mean, I still would have got, you know, a severe bodily harm and for sure would have done some prison time. And God said, Nope, I have a bigger purpose for you. So that was like a, a, a Kairos moment in my life where I knew that there was something bigger out there that was protecting me. And that had actually been protecting me my entire life. And I just knew at that moment, like, okay, I want to get, I want to get to know God more. I actually didn't actually surrender until a year after, like about nine months after that accident. So was was that learning that happened? And then it's still, I was still stubborn, still stubborn, still stubborn. And I lost my job. So that platform that I had to be able to perform and show that everything was good was taken from me. So it got to the point where like I cashed out my retirement, spent it all on drugs And it was like, okay, so now I can't pay my rent. And the next thing is I have nobody to help me. My mom moved to New York when I was 18. And so I'm about to be homeless. And that was the next moment that was like, no, I'm just too fancy. I can't be homeless. I just, I can't, I can't go that low. And that was really the moment of like, there's no way I I have to surrender to God because I, I need help, you know? And it's a long story, but I ended up just surrendering and calling my therapist at the time, letting her know that I was an addict. I had never come clean with anybody of anything that was going on in my life. I hid it. And so she got me help right away and I got into rehab right away. And uh, 30 days later, I left rehab. I heard from God. He told me to leave. So I did. And I was sober, had another job four months later. And then the rest is is. It's kind of funny how fast it works after that, that initial bend. It's like almost, it just kind of, it just spins right out. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that there's so many more great, great stories you have there, but yeah, let's just focus on that one there. And then just being able to come out of that, what were the major changes in how you went about your daily business, your daily life? I know at some point in time there, you met Wes. So, I mean, there's also that. And so there's a, there's a lot of other really cool little tidbits. I'm going to let you choose okay. which one you want to want to share, which one you want to tell. But the core of that is really, what does that now look like? How do you live your life now, especially mm-hmm. coming out of some of those things? Well, really, I just le- live a life uh, fully surrendered to God. You know, I finally realized that I'm not in control of anything because if I was in control, I would be completely dead right now. <laughs> yeah. It would be not, I wouldn't be here. And so I just, I live a life surrendered to God the Bible is literally the wisdom that we use to, to get through life, to get day by day. Me and my husband, we love the Lord so much. I was sober for about a year. Then I joined a discipleship program through my church and it was very intense every day uh, for an entire year. We just sat and dug in the word and got a lot of healing from our stuff from our past. And as soon as I graduated, I started serving and volunteering. And that's when I met Wes. So, so let's talk briefly about that healing. I'm making an assumption, but I want I want to just ask you, like, yeah. what 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 was that healing like? How hard was that? Oh my gosh! Well, it started with when we joined this program. They stripped us of everything and they took us to Catalina 
which is an island off the coast, and stripped us of everything and took us out there with a bunch of strangers. It was pretty much like what Jesus did with the disciples. Super similar. That was their model. Strip us of everything. No makeup, nothing. You didn't even have deodorant. We had a toothbrush. That was it. And a 50-pound backpack. And they didn't tell us anything that we were going to do. And we get there and it ends up we're having to hike the entire mountain, which is like 30 miles in an entire week. I'm only sober a year. Yeah, I was an ice skater and all this stuff. I was so out of shape. I mean, so God really, we were going up Blackjack Mountain and it is like four miles of like, like it's not 90 degrees, but it's like 85 degrees straight up. And you have to get up this mountain and you're going up this mountain. And I'm like, oh yeah, I got this. I was an ice skater. You know, (laughs) I got this, you know? No, God broke me down. And I remember I fell to the floor, weeping, dropped my backpack. And I was like, I can't do this on my own anymore. And that's when I really, really surrendered. Mm. And I had to ask for help for the first time in my life. I had to ask somebody to help me carry my backpack. Isn't and that interesting? I, my whole life had carried all of this baggage my, myself. Uh, but the, the correlation that's there, I mean, like the fact yeah. of having to ask for physical help, right? That's yeah. the one the one aspect. Yeah. But then you've got all of this, I'll call it the emotional baggage too, that you're yeah. carrying from like what you said earlier is the fact of the feeling of rejections and the feeling of mm-hmm. having to perform in order to be of value, like yeah. all of those things. Like, is that the same time when you all of a sudden realize, like, I have to ask for help for those pieces as well? Yeah. So we get, they take you to this mountain. And I mean, it's so cool how it played out because then they take you and every day we're at a different campsite and we are just learning about the love of God. And we're going through first John and they're just telling us like how much you're loved by the Lord and all of these things. And everyone's weeping and we finally get a chance to share our stories and we're finally get a chance to be heard. And so all of a sudden this new identity is being introduced to us of who we really are in God. And it was incredible. So there's so much healing just in that mountaintop experience where you're away from the world and out of the worldly elements for seven days. And when you come back, I was so radically changed and so radically different And then that just set up the entire year of the whole program that we still had ahead of us. And we went on two other retreats that year where I received a lot of my healing and my healing looked ugly. I mean, (laughs) I literally, we learned, we did a trip up in Big Bear and we studied the book of Nehemiah. And it was really just letting down these walls that we had built up in our hearts. And we had chances again to share our full testimonies. And I weeped, weeped for an entire week. And I believe that was like my, my real deliverance of like me getting rid of those demons that I had. I, you know, I've seen many different types of deliverances in the way that people get healed. Mine was like through really, really heavy crying and people just coming around me and lifting me up and loving me in those moments. So it was a week of like just pure ugliness, <laughs> you know, I, was I think I, I wouldn't term it as ugliness though, because it was a chance for you to finally yeah. feel something. Exactly. And I think I think that's that may be, and I'm I'm obviously putting words in your mouth, so I kind of feel bad, and I apologize. No, for you're that, fine. But, but it's like this whole aspect is for the first time in your life, you can actually see the love rather than the performance based expectation. You can feel the emotion okay. of how much you're appreciated just for you, right? Not for what you do. Exactly. And that is an absolute unbelievable feeling that I wish more people could experience. So yeah, 
I mean, we're starting to wind down here, but is there any other major things that you're like, dude, I got to, I got to share this. This is another thing that either God stepped in and did this or is another, like what, what else? What, what else? Um, lastly, I would just say, so I met my husband in ministry school. We started off with nothing. We started a business. We knew nothing. Our business is thriving. God has just catapulted it. He's just completely blessed us. I mean, we literally start off with nothing. I bought my husband his first ladder and a bucket of squeegee and he went and knocked on doors. I got out of the legal field and decided, hey, I'm going to help them. So we're a husband and wife owned business. You there's know, no everything. challenges with that, I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> and so there was a, yeah, it was very, very hard. It, it yeah. really tested our marriage. And then one day you get the news that nobody ever wants to get. You go to a doctor's appointment and they're like, hey, you have cancer. And I honestly, I'll be honest. I always thought there's no... I never even thought that cancer could happen to me. Like it, it was so, so coming from the left field that I never saw that coming. None of us did. And God didn't make the cancer, but God took what the enemy meant for bad and made it for good. Yeah. And it got me out of our business. So me and my husband, we were, we were, had some really challenging times running the business together. And so the goal was to automate the business. And so it just made me hire my virtual assistant right away. I found out I had cancer. I hired her within two weeks. And for the first time in my life, I mean, I had to trust her. I had to just trust that she was the right candidate and know that I was just going to walk away from everything for a year and not have anything to do with it. I could not focus on it at all. And she's still with us today. And it's been two years and she's incredible. And it's just been such an amazing journey how I got out, which was the ultimate goal. Yeah. And it just made me do it sooner. And which is just such a beautiful thing. I still do the Christmas light sales. Uh, that's another thing where I was going through chemo, pulling over on the side of the road on my way to do sales for Christmas lights, taking chemo pills. I had no eyebrows, no eyelashes, wearing a wig. And I would still go out and sell like $200,000 in lights. I mean, absolutely incredible. And you can't really do that. That's the power of the Holy Spirit inside me, right? That That's that's impossible. And so I look back at that, that season. And I'm like, wow, God, you're just so good. You know, you're just so, so good for everything that I've been through, where we are today. And then now we're getting ready to embark. Um, we're building a surf camp in Nicaragua. It's already started being built. And I'll let my husband tell about that entire thing because that's his dream. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So so, that. I know. I mean, everybody resonates with different people. And I, I yeah. know there's, there's going to be somebody that listens. Are you okay if somebody wanted to reach out to you? And if that is the case, how would they reach out to you to to connect or to talk more or, or just to, I know your spirit is to help and I know you're a servant yeah. leader. So that's why I'm even offering this. Absolutely. No, I love to help. I love to minister. I love to pray for people. I love to just come alongside people and help them because I just shared a couple of my trials. I've been through a lot more than that. You can reach me on Facebook, Kathleen Grant. There's a picture of me and my family. So you'll see me. I'm on Instagram, Kathleen Grant, I think 7940 or something like that. <laughs> we'll have to get that in the notes. I'll get that from you. <laughs> yeah. And then you can email me. I'm okay with email too, Kathleen Grant, 1027 at gmail.com. And yeah, now I just have time to to help people. And that's what yeah. I do. That's yeah. amazing. It's absolutely yeah. amazing. And I, I truly, I thank you for sharing. And I, I know some of the other things, some of the other stories that you've shared with me. And I, mm -hmm. I am so excited to hear even talk with Wes. The amount of impact that you have as an individual. And again, yes, you, you, you talk a little bit about the success, but it, that's not really the story. The story right. is 
the overcomer. And the story is the ability to be able to say, yes, I have because of my faith and because God's done this or whatever. And I, I love that aspect of your story because it, it just shows that you're not alone. You're not the only one that has to go through this. And it just takes a, a, a humbling yeah. being able to say, yes, I, I can't carry this pack up the hill. That, yeah. I mean, that's going to be the key is like, I, I just yeah. visualize you actually yeah. just dropping saying, I can't carry this 50 pound pack. Yeah. And I got to the top of the mountain and it was incredible. I mean, I've never cried so hard in my life because I knew that God got me there. That's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. So again, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, we're going to end this for now, uh, right. but man, I can't wait to hear if you listen to this one and you haven't listened to Wes or if you listen to Wes and we'll go back and forth, but you got to hear both sides of it because this is truly yeah. an incredible story. So thanks awesome. again. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely stay in touch here. Yes. Thanks for having me. So I was just uh, talking about how not only did I get diagnosed with cancer, I also had moved my mom out here from New York. Yeah. Um, she had Alzheimer's and I kept, the Lord kept telling me you need to move her in with you, but I, I had a new marriage, new baby, new business, and I was not ready for that. And there's no one else to take care of my mom, but me. And so I brought her in and I get the cancer diagnosis. And so I'm also going through cancer while I'm taking care of my mom, while I'm trying to get her into a home. And she literally passed away while I was having my mastectomy. Wow. So I had to say goodbye, goodbye to my mom and leave and go to the hospital and have surgery, which was life-saving surgery for me. So I know that no matter you know what comes my way, I'm going to conquer it yeah. because those are some really, really hard times, hard things to go through. And I feel like, you know, right now I'm studying Romans in a Bible study, you know, and our perseverance produces character and our character produces faith. And on our those faith. challenges, that's where we no. grow. We, we become we stronger grow. through those challenges. Yeah. I have a question in regards to this because you mentioned earlier in the recording or when we were actually doing the original podcast, right? You said about the fact that you didn't necessarily want to stay with your mom. You were daddy's girl. Yeah. And so now your your dad passed and then now you had to actually stay with your mom and then there was all kinds of issues there. But then now as an adult you're at, you're inviting your mother to come back in and take care of her. I guarantee there has to be some kind of change, something forgiveness, something was going on there. When I went to ministry school and I started learning about, you know, forgiveness and all of that and we were we were forced to deal with our with our stuff and our relationships. It was the goal was like okay, we had like make amends if you need to, you know? And mm. so I just started traveling out East to visit my mom. I knew she was old. She had told me she got diagnosed with Alzheimer's, but who, who knows? You don't know what that is until you actually are faced with it. So I had no idea what that was, but I would go back East and I just started loving on her. And my spiritual mom at the time told me, look, Kathleen, if you're going there to get anything from her, you can't, that door's closed. She has Alzheimer's like, if you're going to go, the sole purpose is to go and love on her. And that's it. And the conversation of like, you know, hey, mom, I'm sorry for the abuse and all of this stuff. It's fine. Her mind's not in the right place for that anymore. So you don't even need to have that conversation. Just go and love on her. So I did. I did. I went and I would travel back east all the time and take her to do really cool stuff. I knew her time here on earth wasn't going to be that much longer, just a couple of years. So I really would just go back there and just spoil her you know? And, um, it was really incredible what God did. And that was one of my biggest fears I had. I think one of my biggest fears that I conquered was taking care of my mom. It actually makes me sad. <laughs> it was one of my biggest fears was to have to take care of someone knowing that they were going to die. And literally she was the only person I had left on the earth. That was like, you know, 
it was my mom. And so as you get older, you realize the people in your life, how valuable they really are, even if they do make mistakes, you know? And after my mom passed, I learned that she was a lieutenant commander in the Navy and she cared for all, she was a nurse and she cared for all the soldiers in the Vietnam War. Wow. She never shared that with me. She never shared that with anybody. And wow, like this, this woman was like, she was like a saint. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't see her in those eyes until the very end. And I'm just, I did see her with those eyes in the end, but man, I don't know like what to take from that. It's just the people that you have in your life, they're not going to be perfect. You know, parents are perfect. 100%. They're not. And you know what she did? She put me in a private school. I was an ice skater. She definitely didn't do finances right. I learned finances later on, took some Dave Ramsey classes. Now my finances are great. But man, what an amazing woman she was. And what a blessing that God chose me to be able to be there for her, to lay her to rest. You know, the Navy put on this beautiful ceremony for her. And so I went through all of that while going through cancer. But the the thing is this, the intent wasn't going there to try to change your mom. Right. Your intent was there. I want to change me. And by changing you, it changed everything. Exactly. An unbelievable concept that we miss so many times by changing who we are, changing our perspective. Suddenly we now start seeing things in a different light. And that's a powerful, powerful lesson that we learn. Now, granted, a lot of emotional baggage that you had to work through. You had to get healed from. You had to actually work on. So it's not an easy yeah. path. It's not at all. But no. the benefit of doing that is, is really, really powerful. Yeah. I mean, my advice is if you can, you know, just spend time working on yourself and getting wisdom from God and reading the Bible. And there's so many stories in the Bible of just knuckleheads, just, you know, getting healed and getting and Jesus's grace and just God's grace in our lives. And it's just incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, this is our bonus section. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything else you want to share? We got a couple minutes. So, <laughs> I don't know. I th- yeah, I think one of the another huge thing uh, was just uh, being blessed with a baby girl. I have a four year old daughter. Her name's Trinity, and what a blessing she is. You know, God gave her to us right when we got married, and me and my husband both, you know, come from a crazy background. I was thirty six when I had her. wasn't sure if I was even going to be able to have kids because of so much destruction to my body. Yeah. So just really put that in God's hands. And, you know, we were blessed with a beautiful baby girl. And, and then I would further find out that that would be my only born because I can't have more kids since the cancer. So, which I'm okay with, I'm 40 now. I just turned 40 in January and I feel like the best years are ahead of me. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to like the next 10 years. You know, I have plenty of years left, but uh, the next 10 years, especially uh, who knows 50, man, that's it. Your life is over 50. No, we're done. Right. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But that's awesome. That's awesome. So again, thanks. And, um, Man, what a what an awesome, inspiring story. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I love to just share and, and and hopefully it inspires and brings hope to one other person at least, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the author of your story? Take the next step now at www.narrative.live and enter your details to connect with a community of others just like you that are tired of living under the false narrative. Finding your true story and writing your narrative, it will give you clarity, freedom of your day, and it just might change your life forever.